Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 240. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we accidentally turn on Fox News for like a mere, like, 11 seconds, only to hear Tucker Carlson talk about how Jill and Joe Biden's affectionate behavior is a PR stunt. I am your host, Nikine Farsad, and oh my God, Tucker has a point. I hear if a QAnon person sees a couple kissing, they start believing in climate change. Today, we're actually going to talk about climate change and the Biden plan to fix it. We'll also lovingly talk about McConnell. Kinzinger and Murdoch. And finally, we dissect types of love. Um, today, I'm joined by such a fantastic panel. I'm so excited by this panel. We have joining us for the very first time on this show um, um, a man you've seen on the airwaves as creator and host of Adam's Ruins Everything. He is also host of the Hit Podcast. Factually, he's so funny. He's so prolific. Folks, it's Adam Conover. Hey, Adam. Oh, Oh my gosh, Nagin, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy oh, to be here. So happy that you we finally got you on the show. Um, and also joining us again on the podcast. You loved her last time. She's so fabulous. You may remember her as one of the most beloved contestants on RuPaul's Drag Race. But now she has a new album that you must immediately purchase. It's called Letters to My Lovers, A Girl Like Me. Uh, and it's about a year in the life of a relationship. So I think she's going to have a lot to say about love in our last segment. Um, she's wonderful. She's fantastic. 
um, I've been following her, her, her feet, her socials, um, which you should be too. She's the wonderful Peppermint. Hey, Peppermint. Hey, gorgeous. It's great to be back. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm so glad. Uh, we were we were in a different world last time you were on because uh, Trump was still our president. So yes. uh, we're, <laughs> we're now in a, like a different... Now his uh, essence just looms. His essence looms. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. Okay, so let's get into it with topic number one. Okay, so wait, as we tape on this Wednesday afternoon, there are um, millions in Texas without power. Uh, There was a snowstorm that nobody expected. It landed in places that normally don't get it. The power grid failed on all fronts, the coal front, the natural gas front, the wind front. The grid wasn't connected to other states, so the power sources couldn't help. And blah, blah, blah. It was a real disaster. And now a bunch of people are suffering and it sucks. And yet... We might have to expect weather events like this more and more often um, because of climate change. So I guess my first question to you both uh, as we tape this is, do you feel like this thing in Texas, these kinds of events move the needle on like the popularity of climate change action? I think think that the message is starting to get out there that climate change causes more extreme weather events, causes more hurricanes, causes more, you know, freak blizzards in the winter. I think that you're probably going to still have a lot of people in Texas going, hold on a second. It's cold. I thought global warming was supposed to make it warm. Isn't this the opposite? Right. That um, heinous, stupid, dumb, old argument. Yeah. Well, it's it, if if you haven't if you haven't been informed, right? If people haven't informed you on how it works, then it's intuitive to think that way. And it's right. only in the last like five years that climate scientists have realized or been able to to prove that uh, climate change leads to more extreme weather events. So now I see that in the headlines of all the mainstream news coverage about it that this is climate change related and that. Uh, yeah, this this shows that not only are we not stopping climate change, our like basic infrastructure is unprepared to deal with it. Um, that like a blizzard comes through and like a whole state's electric grid goes down. That's bad. And that's something we need to fix in addition <laughs> to solving climate change. And I think that hopefully steps will start to be taken in that direction. I, I certainly hope so. Well, let me tell you a little bit um about what Biden wants to do. He wants to protect large swaths of land, create a new civilian conservation corps, deliver help to suffering coal-producing regions. Uh, And when it comes to disadvantaged communities, it might be, you know, suffering disproportionately, which I think they are in this blackout, um, Mm -hmm. the way the blackout has affected uh, disadvantaged communities. Uh, He wants to create clean energy and energy efficiency um, projects, clean transit, affordable and sustainable housing, training and workforce development, um, the remediation and reduction of uh, legacy pollution, uh, the development of clean water infrastructure. Um, you know, it's sort of like uh, a laundry list of stuff that we sh- like need. Um, it's, it's not surprising. The goal is to be carbon um, neutral by 2035. And even Bill Gates, who has a new book out, not that I need to promote Bill Gates' new fucking book. Okay, the man has enough money. He doesn't I'm sure he appreciates like... that. <laughs> I know. You're welcome, Bill. You're so welcome. Um, but even even Bill Gates thinks like these goals are with, within reach. We can do it. Um, Peppermint, do you think these kinds of events make climate change more um, climate change action more popular? 
Well, I do think it's a little bit overwhelming for a lot of people to think of. I mean, basically, these initiatives are ba- are like it. It feels more attainable to like invent a time machine to go back before climate change was ever <laughs> even a thing. And so right. now it's kind of like, oh wow, there's a lot to do. You mean I'm going to have to? Eventually, this means that the average person is going to have to give up watching TV or something like that. And so, <laughs> oh, I, I, I think it's a it's a it's a tall order, but obviously, it's very necessary. I'm one of those people that was like, you know, I hate to say I was complicit, but I was like sort of allowing in this whole situation with Texas yeah. and this new storm, and then the another the next storm that's getting ready to roll through. I was kind of like, you remember that movie, The NeverEnding Story, where like the the characters, there's this thing called the Wait, nothing, which just, is like negative I do, energy. I love how I do not know where this is going at all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Continue. Let's see how the NeverEnding Story relates to climate change and Texas and snowstorms. Okay. I'm sure it's all going to come together. Don't be doubtful. I love it. No, I it, love well, it so no. much. It might be a reach. It might be a reach. Like some people think that Joe Biden's new policy is. But um, the, you know, the the nothing was like this negative energy. Right. Like a cloud or whatever. And so the people, there were people who were like sort of pushing it, that evil dog that was like pushing it. But then there were people who were kind of like, I don't really know what the nothing is, but I'm just really sad. And that was kind of empowering the nothing. And so I was mm. kind of like spending all this time saying, focusing on what is wrong with these people in Texas? They don't like... Come on, it's just snow. Like right. that's where I was. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and not really focus on realizing that the infrastructure uh was um disproportionately affecting so many people. And it's just like such a um like what a metaphor. These people in 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 I think in Houston in the expanded Houston city limits uh, were looking up at the skyscrapers that still had power while the rest of the people on the ground didn't. And, you know, um, I think it's just, it's, it's very telling. I have a a girlfriend, Cynthia Lee Fontaine, who is also on RuPaul's Drag Race, who's supposed to be a guest on my podcast two nights ago. And she was like, girl, I can't be on the show because um, um, my house is going to collapse because it snowed. And I was like, girl, a likely story. I was like, it snows here all the time. (laughs) And then I'm looking on the news and it actually is happening. Right, right. You know, and it's interesting because, first of all, I had to be honest with you both, and uh, this is, you know, I, I'm a failure in one respect, which is that I've literally never once thought about Texas's power grid. <laughs> this is Same. the first time <laughs> I have really delved into it. But it turns out that when you have a like a Lone Star power grid that's not connected to other shit, they can't help you when you're in a pickle. Right. Um, And so one of Biden's plans is to actually nationalize the power grid, which, again, it's interesting. I think one thing about the Biden administration's rhetoric around climate change has been there isn't an area of governance that isn't affected by climate change. And this is a really great example of that. Right. Like the power grid in Texas, I didn't realize would be affected by climate change. You don't think of it necessarily that way, but it's not it wasn't built to sustain snowstorms and it's not connected to other states. So it can't be um, bailed out uh, in a situation like this um i uh my my big question i guess adam is for for people like who who are i mean i don't even know if a climate change denialists are important to think about <laughs> but just for people who are just sort of casually and indifferently living their lives where climate change is like a thing they never think about yeah but they don't deny it 
Yeah. What do we do? Like, how do we change? And you're you have a show, right? You talk yeah. about issues. Um, yeah. In what way would you use your? Do you use your powers? And would you use your powers to communicate to these people? Sure. Well, I think that it's you know climate change is an issue that we have this sort of very abstract notion of, you know, and our, our, frankly, our cultural conversation about it is a couple decades behind the science. You know, it was barely, this was the first presidential election where it was even a major issue. You know, it was barely right. discussed at previous debates and thank God Biden is prioritizing it so much as an issue. Um, but in terms of how the average person thinks about it, we're stuck in the past. We all think in our heart of hearts, like, okay, climate change, how do I stop that? I guess I got to stop using so much plastic. I need to keep the lights off more. You know, like that's what we're no thinking. No hairspray. Like, yeah, no hairspray. <laughs> it's like Peppermint said, oh, you got to not watch TV. You got to, you got to save power. Right. <laughs> and the fact is, a, that whole point of view was was pushed upon us by corporations that were trying to unload the responsibility onto the individual, you know, to right, say, right, uh, right. you know, the like, like, it's not us who's creating all the plastic and all the disposables. It's you. You need to recycle it. And that's how we'll improve the world. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So the first thing is that individual choice is never going to be enough to, to stop climate change. Us buying better stuff and us using less things is never going to be enough to stop climate change. Nor is it possible to ask people to make sacrifices like that, right? But here's the second part. Solving climate change does not actually equal making sacrifices. That's the idea that we've been having our whole, oh, we got to cut back. We got to use less. Life has to be shittier for us to solve climate change. Not true. I just had a guest on my podcast, this guy, Saul Griffith, on my podcast, Factually, plug. <laughs> the, I'm um, sorry, you, do you mean the hit podcast, Factually? The hit podcast factually and no i didn't ask you to call it that you just know it's a hit and that's why you call it that naturally you know it's a hit podcast so we had this fella on um macarthur genius grant winner uh engineer scientist saul griffith um and what he explained is that if we were to electrify our entire power grid right electrify cars electrify oil right. you know uh, electrify natural gas um, and you put the right policies in place that would mean that energy would be cheaper it would be more abundant and life would be better because we'd have less pollutants in our homes. We'd live longer, you know, and so it's it now it costs money and time and most importantly, political will to do this. You have to be willing to say, piss off the local natural gas supplier like SoCal Gas here in California, which is lobbying against, you know, making, uh, you know, rules that would mean that, you know, new homes would have to be constructed with electricity, you know, electrical heat instead of gas, right? Because they're a gas company. They don't want that business to be taken away. Um, so we need to be able to stand up to those sorts of utilities. But once we do, life gets better for everybody. We, in fact, don't have to cut back. We can have more good things in our world. Um, and so that's the, that's the sort of paradigm shift that we need in our understanding of how to fight climate change. It's not about cutting back. It's about entering into a better future and making investments that will allow us to do so. Yeah, I I love that, and and you're right that like you know the 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 side that wants us to keep fossil fuels, they sort of put you know put these stories in our heads that it's about self sacrifice um, to yeah. make it unpopular, right? They're not mm -hmm. they're not like you know do your part, but I do still think that people should do their part. Um, I Google oh, yeah, yeah. Reci recycle and don't and don't like overuse shit, but right. don't yeah, think yeah, yeah. that don't think that once you put your shit in the blue bin, you've done your part. Right. Right. Doing your part is also yelling at politicians, voting and, voting, be, and you know, telling your friends. And also and be, like yeah. thinking about yeah. the, the kind of changing the, <laughs> the energy infrastructure 
it's a little bit like when I had to change my laundry machine, guys. It was um, it was just like collecting water. It was doing, you know, it was leaking. I let it go for a long time where I was just like bailing water out of a laundry machine. And I knew that I needed to buy a new one. I hemmed and I hawed. I didn't feel like dealing with it. But then I dealt with it. And guess what? I don't have to bail water out of my laundry machine anymore. By the way, <laughs> admitting that you have a laundry machine is such a New York City so brag. Bougie. I'm oh so my gosh. sorry. Did you I just know. Call me poor? I know. <laughs> but um, here's okay. So I did one of these things where I googled how do you get red state people to um, to buy into climate change. You know when you ask Google like just a ridiculous question. Oh, I ask and, it all the time. <laughs> and I I found um, this really great article in Scientific American, and it's from like 2017 or whatever. But it, they surveyed like 11 mayors in the in the northern plain in the Great Plains states. Um, talking about what do you, how do you talk to your constituents about climate change? And they just don't, they basically try not to use the term climate change. You know, they use other things. They frame it as a, as a conservation. They frame it as money savings through energy savings, um, smart growth and planning, um, common sense, natural resource management. These are all terms they use. So I think if we also maybe just to like popularize some of these efforts, stop talking about climate change because it's such a low, loaded term for the right. If we just start saying, oh, there's snowstorms in Texas now, so you need to nationalize your grid without like saying all the other stuff, that might also help. You know, just some basic Mm -hmm. sort of marketing around uh, around climate change might help the problem. Yeah, sort of like when it went from save the ozone layer to climate change. Well, here's the thing. We did save the ozone layer. Yeah, that did you was know actually that? worked, that one. It worked. Like that yeah, but the problem was, it, like you said, Adam, it was all pinned on consumerism, which mm-hmm. is like the, 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 act, the like platform of this capitalist society that we're in. And so us, the entire, it felt like the responsibility was which, are you going to drink Diet Coke out of a bottle or a can, <laughs> or are you going to use hairspray? But then you have all the magazines telling you you must use hairspray because you have to look beautiful or you're not a woman, and you better be drinking Diet Coke because it's on every commercial. What are we going to do? <laughs> oh. But I, you know, but the funny thing is, Oz- the ozone layer then, it was popular with Reagan or whatever. I think I might be talking. I know I'm old. I'm here. aging myself. I'm but, poor um, and old. But I think, yeah. <laughs> Pepiner and I are far, far, far far too young to know anything about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> um, but uh, but but the interesting thing is co- conservation at its very core is easily a conservative ideal, you know, so it could easily be spun mm-hmm. in that direction. Folks, we got to wrap this segment there, but I want uh, to know from you guys, what do you, you know, how do you talk about climate change with um, people who may not think it's a big deal? And I'm talking about the indifferent types, the deniers, they're in a whole other bucket and there's, I don't need to worry about them. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of uh, messaging you use just uh, in your family around this stuff. Uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about some not great guys. 
This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by AuraFrames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an AuraFrame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these AuraFrames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an AuraFrame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little a person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, um, like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that. But we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of 
personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it just it makes common sense pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make 50 percent of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um will be taken off that's pros.com slash fake the nation you get your free consultation and 50 percent off your one-of-a-kind formulas uh again that's pros.com slash fake the nation go and get your just super personalized luxurious skincare products and hair care products that's what i'm gonna try next so pros.com slash fake the nation Eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Folks, I feel like I've mentioned this before, but I tried other services that I was displeased with. And then a neighbor of mine was trying Factor. I had pulled them aside in the hallway and I was like, what are you feeling about this Factor? And they were like, it is delicious. You should definitely do it. So then me and my husband did it and we loved it. They are chef-prepared meals that arrive to your door, and then in two minutes, you could be eating them. Like, it's so simple, and they're actually delicious. And for people like me who just sometimes, my schedule can be so maniacal between traveling in different cities and, you know, doing stand-up gigs. It's like I just don't have a typical schedule where I can plan, set aside time for cooking and all that stuff. So something like Factor really helps for me. The other thing that I love to do is try not to eat carbs. <laughs> so they have a keto option, which is fantastic. It's super delicious. They use premium ingredients. You can get stuff with like filet mignon and shrimp and truffle butter and broccolini and asparagus, right? Like real ingredients. They're no fuss, no mess meals. Um, they eliminate the hassle of having to prep. They're tailored to your schedule. Um, you can customize your weekly meals 
uh, with flexibility. You can pause or reschedule. I've actually done that. I've both paused and rescheduled. Um, Factor is basically your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. And look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for the lowest carbon footprint meals. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should head to factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 and use the code fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code fakethenation50 at factormeals.com slash fakethenation50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And we are back and we're ready with topic number two. So this weekend, the Senate voted to acquit Donnie for his role in the January 6th insurrection, which was a surprise to no one. And yet it was still a surprise. Uh, You know who seemed disappointed actually maybe the most disappointed, was Mitch McConnell. This is what he said. He said in a speech, he said, there's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible per- for provoking the events of the day. He said this is this was an intensifying crescendo um, of conspiracy theories orchestrated by an ongoing president who seemed determined to either overturn the voters' decision or else torch our institutions on the way out. Mitch McConnell was also one of the people who voted to acquit. So my first question to both of you is, uh, Peppermint, why did Mitch McConnell do that if he also thinks that Trump was responsible? He was communicating to us that he still needed to swing from the nuts of, as you put it, Donnie. You know, I mean, he's got a stranglehold. (laughs) Trump has got a stranglehold on um, the Republican voters, and therefore a stranglehold on the politicians who who need those voters' votes. And so there, it's quite a conundrum. And you know, he was he w- it was literally he was his morality was in question, and he was l- trying to choose between right and wrong. And he decided not to make a decision. Um, well, he decided to vote. That's a decision. But he decided to, you know, vote one way and speak another way so that he could kind of try to stay in the middle. But there is no middle ground with Trump and there shouldn't be a middle ground with this issue. Uh, Adam, are you impressed by McConnell's courage? (laughs) (laughs) Self-preservation? Let's hear it. This is what Mitch McConnell does. You know, he's a very canny politician. He's a very cynical politician. Uh, I think it's the, from his perspective, probably the smart move. What he does is he finds the, you know, the middle ground position to give everybody in his caucus cover. 
So they were all there. They all know that he provoked it, but they need to find some argument that'll allow them to have it both ways. And so the idea that, Mm -hmm. oh, the impeachment was unconstitutional because he's no longer in office allows them to have this sort of like legalistic opt out. But then he goes and gives a big speech in order to say, no, I'm really not okay with this. Right. In order to in order to have it both ways, in order to to chastise the president. Um, And. I don't know. I actually kind of see it as so. First of all, uh, it's not brave. It's not cowardly. It's just that's what that's what Mitch McConnell does, you know. And, and I tend to not look at politicians in that way of going, "Here's what they should do if they were like decent people." It's like, you know, politicians they're in not a lot of cases, <laughs> yeah, they're not. They're not. They they're political actors. They act according to what the politics of the situation are and what they think is going to benefit them, right? And what I'll say is. This is the most that the Republican Congress has ever distanced itself from Trump, right? We have seen that happen. Seven seven Republicans voted against him, voted to uh, convict him. And uh, you have to wonder, we don't really have numbers, but how many of them voted no because of Mitch McConnell's little, you know, loophole that he came up with where they said, oh, I disapprove, but I think it's unconstitutional, right? Um, And that is the party moving away from Trump just a little bit more than it was before, right? Like now all the Trump fans, they they already hated Mitch McConnell. Now they really fucking hate Mitch McConnell and they really hate Mitt Romney and they hate all the other Republicans who voted no, but agree with Mitch McConnell, you know? And so I don't think that's as distant as I would be from Trump or I think, or I, think <laughs> a, a, or I would want a person to be from Trump, but I do think it shows like a growing schism in the party because- you know, a year ago, McConnell never would have done this. He would have just offended Trump. So, you know, I think it's not uh-huh. as much movement as you might expect, given the events of the day. Uh-huh. But it is it is some movement if you're just looking at, you know, the the objective reality of how uh, of how much the you know minority leader felt he needed to. to but move the question away is, it's is it enough movement? Because we are in a situation, you know, the 2022 is right around the corner, essentially. And all, you know, after all of the stalling and all of the, you know, after the impeachment trial and Biden not being able to get staffed up the way that he would have wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, is it enough movement away from Trump, who is like this looming ghostly figure who's like threatening everybody and spooking them in at night? When what they need to do is either at the end of the day, they're going to need to completely sever ties with him or just go ahead and say, he's our man. He runs the show. It's one of those two things. I hate to be so binary, but it's got to be one of those two things. And it's going to take a few years to get there. It's weird because he is trying to do like he's trying to have it both ways where he wants where the, where his vote can't be used and, and it's not about him because he's not going to run again it doesn't matter but uh, but uh-huh. but he but he needs to raise money for the party right he needs to raise uh-huh. money for other people that are going to run he's uh-huh. got to ca- try and get the you know Republican party back in control so this is about raising money and it's also about uh-huh. getting people to not primary pre-existing uh GOP officials. So there it's all about that. And then the thing that I think is the big, big fat miscalculation is that McConnell thinks popular opinion is formed by popular opinion. But he forgets that <laughs> leadership also forms popular opinion, right? Right. Like if he was a leader, he could have gotten 17 other people to vote, um, to acquit, to, to um against acquittal and then they and then they would have really excised Trump from the party and then they would have also maybe sent a message that like 
we are going to fight against this tumor that's growing um, uh, on the Republican Party. But what instead he's doing is this like half thing where there is no real leadership. It only creates a void. It creates more. Mm -hmm. It just makes the void more available and accessible to the Trump wing of the party. Mm -hmm. I think that's I think that's canny analysis. Uh, And I think I want to I want (laughs) to piggyback on what I want to piggyback on what Peppermint said. It, it, you're right. It is a binary. They got to go one way or the other at the end of the day. And what this does is it delays the decision on yeah. which way they're yeah. going to go, mm-hmm. because uh, like, you know, it, it basically reestablishes the Trump wing and the establishment wing of the party where there used to just be one group. And now they're against each other. I mean, McConnell has said he's going to campaign against, you know, Trumpist Senate candidates um, who might want a primary establishment uh, candidate. So it, it keeps up that, you know, it creates and perpetuates like a war within the Republican party, uh, in a way that might not be now, look, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm not a political pundit and I think political punditry is stupid, but it does make the overall Republican party look pretty weak to me. And, and it's funny because after election day, I was like, oh man, like Biden won, but the Republicans won every single other part of the democracy. They kept their Senate majority. They gained mm-hmm. seats in the House. They won all the state houses and everything. And like, it looks like Trump kind of won. He lost the presidency, but he won everything else. But then uh, after they they were swept out of Georgia and after the, uh, you know, the events at the Capitol, it really looks like the opposite. Trump does is not even on Twitter anymore. Like, uh, we barely hear from the guy. He had to issue a press release the other day. Which, because- by the way, how much gentler did that press release land in your like Twitter feed than a Trump tweet? Like that because yeah. pre- he said something, you know, anti Mitch McConnell. I can't even really quote it. I don't remember. But he basically said like Mitch McConnell is trash or whatever. And but it was like totally unmemorable. It wasn't. I think the the fact that he doesn't have access to Twitter just really makes the language that he's using and all yeah. that stuff. It just gets filtered in a way that the press should filter language. You know what I mean? Should yeah. kind of um, curate. And the what new we hear. CEO of Parlor has entered the chat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have you ever had an enemy, someone who you really didn't get along with, a frenemy or an enemy, quit social media? Has this ever happened to you? And and it's happened to me where they're like, you know what? Like, I see this person's post. I'm like, oh, my God, they make me crazy. Like, and then they quit social media and you're like, oh, oh, my, they're gone. I never even have to think about mm-hmm. them anymore. Like, they're yeah. living their life somewhere. They're still having all so their bad opinions. So does that mean opinions. we're delusional? That they're, because we know he's still there. And, you know, I mean, Megan McCain put it, you know, the my, my, um, resource for all things Republican politics. (laughs) Megan McCain said that it's like one of those movies where Godzilla is under the water and, you know, the people are in their boats and all happy, uh, but Godzilla is still there. So she's referring to Trump as like Godzilla about to come and ravage the Republican Party again. Um, And so I don't know. I'm I'm afraid. Is it the devil you know better than the devil you don't? I don't really know. I am. I'm happy to not see him and feel like we have to hang on. He's not forcing us to hang on to his every word on Twitter, which is what we were doing when he was on Twitter. But now we're hanging on to his 
like his essence and talking about him. It's you know, still all so his soon, actions. though. Like the acquittal just happened on Saturday. It was I a week feel ago. You're like, right. You know, I feel like give us a month and we're gonna be like, I'm sorry, who are you talking about, Donnie? What? It'll. It just won't. Yeah. I, I. I'm maybe I'm optimistic. Fun fact though about um, Megan McCain. I was up for a job uh, where it was like me, me and I don't know a couple of other people up for this job. But the per so it was down to just a couple of names and the person who got it was Megan McCain. Wow. <laughs> Were you going to be on The View? No, it wasn't for The View. It was for another show. And, um, okay. the, but, but I think it's hilarious that you're like, who do I get? Do I get Nagin Farsad or Megan McCain? They're so similar. I can't decide That is a, I want to know what that job was. I mean, I'm, it's so ridiculous. I'm just um, going to, I'm just going to imagine that you were up to be on The View and I'm just going to picture that and that's what I'm going to think about. I don't need to know what this other job is. Nagin was almost on The View. I was almost on The View and uh, anyways, it would have been a completely different uh, looking situation. Yes, um, it would have. Let's talk quickly about Adam Kinzinger as someone who Peppermint is making the choice, right? Like he is, a, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you who don't know, He's a House Republican who supported impeachment. And a couple days later, I thought, I don't know, I just thought this was so fucking crazy and interesting. Eleven members of his family sent him a handwritten two-page letter telling him that he was working with, quote, the devil's army. And, quote, oh my, what a disappointment you are to us and to God. And, quote, you have embarrassed the Kinzinger family name, exclamation mark. Um, so that is a so Adam Kinzinger was not embraced by his family for standing up uh, to Trump. He also started a new pack because he's trying to reform the party. He's really explicit about it. He's really vocal about it. Um, he wants the party to go back to the days of George W. Bush, where they emphasize lower taxes, hawkish defense and social con- conservatism. Um, I mean, what do you what do you think? Think of his mission. I mean, this shows uh, how powerful identity is in politics. You know, um, uh, Ezra Klein wrote about this in his last book that, like, when people say, as liberals often do, how come the conservatives can't see reason? How come they can't accept climate change? How come they love Donald Trump so much? Why can't they change their minds? Right. So much of the pressure is social. If you've built your entire career on saying climate change isn't real, right? Or if you uh, have built your career on, you know, affiliating yourself with Trump and you try to change as a matter of principle, you could be excommunicated from your family, right? I mean, if you if you imagine like, uh, you know, yourself in your own life, if you chose one of your most deeply held views that everyone else around you held and you said, oh, I'm going to be convinced that the opposite is true, the same might happen to you, right? And that would be very oh, yeah. personally painful to you mm-hmm. in, in like a really rational human way. It's like a right. lot to ask of someone to to alienate your family yeah. and your friends and your community and the people who work with you. Like that would be, that that is almost too much for most people to do. So I think it's very it takes sad. A lot. It takes a lot, yeah. I, I think it's very sad, yeah. And I think it shows why, not more like if if you wonder why won't more Republicans distance themselves from Trump? It's because they love their families, you know. <laughs> like I understand. <laughs> it. I mean, but, but like it's not the people who 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 do distance themselves from Trump love their families as well, and mm-hmm, it really true. is kind of. I mean, you're right. It's really sad, but it it's it is unusual that these people would be willing to write handwrite a letter 
What? It's 2021. <laughs> what is this? I know the that detail was so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Handwrite. How many hours do you think it took for them to write that letter? Handwrite because you know if they messed up, it was an in ink. If they messed up, they had to start again. You have to start. You're not going to like crossed out things in a in a letter that important. No. Yeah, you wow. can't. And so handwrite this letter to let the whole world, and then make copies of it to send to other people in in the legislature to let them know, look what we did. It really does seem um, kind of extreme, and it it just shows that like they they view uh, Trump as this sort of deity and and God, and I don't think that that's healthy either. Ever, you know? I mean, because it's interesting because I I guess I don't remember how people th- what they how they embraced George W. Bush, but I don't Not remember. Like that. Yeah, I don't remember it being a like a deity type thing. I don't remember mm-hmm. this cult of personality around him. I no. remember just being like, oh, they're really into conservative policies like those espoused by George W. Bush, but I didn't remember very much. You know, this is a different feeling, and it's very strange because, you know, one of the things that Adam, Adam uh, Kinzinger, my buddy Adam uh, Kinzinger said um, was that, you know, these his family members were brainwashed by the churches they attend. And I just thought that's so interesting because I don't even, you know, I, I can't imagine getting um b- because i can't imagine an actual institution who's who's in the service of an of a deity then espousing trump as a deity you know what i mean in deity like terms i just yeah. uh i just was i i find that very shocking but i think that that makes it you're right adam so much harder to come out because like who wants to get letters like that also it's really hard to read other people's handwriting i mean that was the first uh fucking dilemma yeah when you sent that i was like oh my gosh i've got to try to read this thing i mean jesus christ I give me an hour. Know, do you think do you think that it's going to like what do what do I guess people on the what where does Kinzinger go and call home? Not like for like Thanksgiving, you know, he's not coming to my house. But do you <laughs> think that it's important to politically to embrace um these folks or just let them fight and squabble and see who comes I mean, out. No, bloody. I think they got to figure out who, if they're going to form a new party. Like, cause he's, you know, yeah. he's against the affordable care act. He's a, an opponent of, of abortion rights. He wants to increase yeah. taxes. Um, he's against increased taxes for any th- reason. Um, he won his first seat in Congress with Sarah Palin's endorsement. So this guy is not like an Elizabeth Warren type. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he's not. So I don't love this. Is you know, he. I, what I think he is is just like what would have been an exceedingly regular, boring Republican circa 2005, right? He just would have been mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, just like another Republican dude. That's all he is. There's right. really then the wor- the biggest headline would have been, oh my god, he got caught, you know, with another man having sex in a bathroom under a stall. Like that right, would right. have been the <laughs> yes, the, no, the exa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> and instead, the scandal is a handwritten letter. Um, <laughs> well, so I, I think we just need to see what happens. Like, is he a like, so he's on this endeavor. I want to I we need to create a Republican Party apart from Trump. And we'll see if he gets a following. And if people if people in the Republican Party want that and if they don't and he is kicked out of the party, you know, I mean, like we saw in the 2016 election, there were there were anti-Trump Republicans. There was like that Evan Mm -hmm. McMullen guy in Utah and stuff like that. And they gave it a shot and they fucking lost. 
Like that's what I guess they'll join the Lincoln Party, the Lincoln Project. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, we'll, know, have to, we'll have to see. Yeah, and he is right. I mean, he has actually raised money in this in this pack, so it's not, you know, what he's doing isn't like without teeth. Uh, so we'll keep you um, abreast of what's happening with Adam Kinzinger and our, you know, our really good buddy Mitch McConnell. Um, in the meantime, <laughs> we're going to move on to topic number three. So we read a piece in The Atlantic called The Type of Love That Makes People Happiest by Arthur C. Brooks. And in it, he writes, this is, I think, the summation of his of his piece. He writes, research shows that being married only accounts for 2% of subjective well-being later in life. The important thing for well-being is relationship satisfaction. And that depends on what psychologists call companionate love, love based less on passionate highs and lows and more on stable affection, mutual understanding and commitment. So my question question for you both is what do you um what do you understand to be companionate love and do you uh do you agree with this piece companionate love is knowing that i will always have a very dependable strong bond with the flavor of ice cream in my freezer that's <laughs> <laughs> And it's always there for me, right. no matter what. Right. <laughs> you can find, right. So your argument is you can find companionate love in other places. You can. And honestly, like, in all seriousness, this is um, something that, you know, I mean, I think all humans, especially these days and this day and age, in this age of technology, uh, deal with this relationships and, you know, connection, a lack of connection uh, to other people. That's obviously something that we all deal with. But um, culturally, you know, Queer people have been, um, are unfortunately well-versed in the the Kinzinger family brand of rejection, <laughs> where there's a letter and you're, and you're excommunicated from everything, uh, especially trans women, um, you know, being shut out of not only family spaces, but public spaces, places of employment, um, and, and sort of, and socially and just kind of being ostracized. And that has an effect on the relationships that we're able to cultivate, uh, particularly our romantic relationships. And it also, I believe, is a big reason why the majority of, if, uh, from what we know, the majority of the, uh, murders that are committed, um, and the murders of trans women, specifically trans women of color, are usually committed at the hands of our lovers, our intimate partners. Mm -hmm. And they're not killing us because they want to, they would, they would like to kill us. You know, it's that they would rather kill us than have anyone else know. And so that's obviously a little bit of a different story. But what, what ends up happening is so many of us, uh, many of the women that I know, um, when in in the absence of um, a good companion um, who's loving and affectionate uh, and help in, in a healthy way, um, we kind of form these what chosen families. These you know some people call them houses, some people call them chosen families, uh, sisterhoods. These bonds with others in our community that are also going through the same thing. And I think that's ultimately the the best and most healthy um, way to, to have companionship given the circumstances. 
I, you know, and I think uh, Peppermint, you, you make a great point there because um, one of the things that that um, Brooks writes about in this article is that you know, married people, and this is from a study, married people aged tw- twenty two to seventy nine who said they had at least two close friends, meaning at least one besides their spouse, had higher levels of life satisfaction and self esteem. So the idea is that um, is is not even necessarily that. The idea here is that your spouse is your best friend, or you could just have two best friends. You know what I mean? I think, like, I don't know if you could swap out uh, one for the other, but uh, according to to the sociologist, but I do think, but I think in terms of like building community, you could have that same kind of companionate um, effect. Adam, did um, did did companionate love uh, ring true for you in this piece? Yeah, I mean, I've been with my. Partner Lisa, for we've been together twelve years, and this this uh, wow. it, this does ring true as like, you know, uh, where where is it in the in the piece here um, that uh, the well being the well being benefits of marriage are much greater for those who also regard regard their spouse as their best friend. Now we're not married, but uh, I we do regard each other as our as our best friends. I think, and I would absolutely say that 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 is contributes. To my feeling of well-being, you know, most of your time with your partner, you're not fucking most of the time. You know what I mean? You're not like, oh, blah, 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 hey, blah, speak blah. for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, we have this- I think I think what Adam means is you're not fucking your 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 spouse most of the time. <laughs> you're fucking other people. You might be fucking someone else, but not your spouse. <laughs> We're disgustingly faithful. You'd be you'd be disappointed. I didn't us, mean you. I didn't mean to imply you. <laughs> Uh, but like, uh, you know, most of the time you're, you're watching movies and you're saying, what do you want to get for dinner? And you're talking about a book you read, you know? And so like the fact that we, this is just going to sound really gross and cliche, but we would never run out of shit to talk about. You know, we always have more to talk about, which is a characteristic of a friend, not a, not a, uh, you know, a a passionate lover. You know what I mean? Now. I think the challenge is we deprioritize that kind of love, that kind of friendship for marriage in our society. We think it's supposed to be passionate. Steamy. You know, yeah. Yeah. The, the, that the first two How years are the what the whole alive? rest of the relationship is supposed to be like. <laughs> and then you feel guilty. You're like, oh, why don't we, why aren't we so horny anymore? Why aren't we always just like, you know, blushing and quivering at, a, at each other's touch? And why aren't we constantly a Twitter and like, well, I'm reading this article. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's I mean, that's what happens the first couple of years. And then you have a different sort of relationship. And then you sort of need to maybe work at the passionate piece a little bit more and make sure you're making time and space and doing that with intention. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people feel guilty that they are th- like, oh, oh, she's like my best friend. Is that bad? And like, oh, reading this, like, no, that's good. Right. That's wonderful. I think, you know, it's funny. I, um, you know, I um I had a I had some days where I I dated a ton of men and uh I dated a guy who was living I may have mentioned this on the show before I don't remember but I dated a dude who was living in Dublin and I was living <gasps> I was living in London for a minute because I'm so intern you know because I'm so international wow, and international. um and I have a passport it's fine and I um was dating this guy living in Dublin but then I moved to New York and we were still dating and it wasn't <laughs> real dating because we would meet up in some city and we would have a, like a passionate weekend but it was a real roller coaster and i thought that the roller coaster of it made it 
real love. You know what I mean? It was the it, the opposite of companion love. It was just about confusion and, you know, and um, <laughs> will they, won't they? And what mm-hmm. city are they going to meet in? Like what it was, uh, it, you know, and we were broke. So we were just like putting flights on credit cards and being ridiculous, you know, and it, it was really about that. And that is totally unsustainable. You know what I mean? It is a yeah. great, like, interesting experience. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was, um, but it was totally uh, unsustain- uh, unsustainable. Um, and he was an Irish man that did write poetry. But I think that in the long term, <laughs> in the long term, I wouldn't be like fucking, it's like, it's like that stuff in the poetry, whatever, in the romance is just so it's so restricted to like, it's almost like going to six flags. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just like that. It's like, you're going, you know, I'm going to stand in this line, get a poem. I'm going to stand in this line. You know, we're going to bone all night in Barcelona. And then I'm going to, you know, it's just, it's, it was, um, it, it's, it was completely nothing like the, the relationship I have now, right. Which is more stable where the topic of conversation is that, you know, they started, um, using cloth bags at, uh, East village organic where we do some shopping. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, that's, we'll, we'll talk 20 minutes about how they change their bags. Um, and I, and I love that, right. Because who else am I going to talk 20 minutes about the, you know, the bags of a particular market? Um, and and so I do think uh, there's something there's something to that. Have you ever did, was there a point in your life, Peppermint, where you kind of made the distinction between like um, the the exciting kind of romance and the stable one? Yes. First of all, I swear we dated the same person. I also <laughs> dated an Irishman who was a poet, and we would travel around no. to meet it. each other in rendezvous. Oh my god! And Yes, I swear. What is is going on in Ireland, in Dublin? Um, And so, yes, that's why I was gagging when you started telling that story. Yeah, I know. I saw your face Uh, and I was just like, what? Yeah, that's hilarious. But I I think, you know what, listeners, if you ever had a a steamy situation with an Irishman, please hit me up. You you are not alone. We got to get to the bottom of this. I can't believe I'm just remembering this. I was in Edinburgh one summer. and No, it could really? Did you date him too? It's the wrong wrong country, but yeah, same guy. <laughs> um, I yeah, it's funny you say that. Many you know the the follow up to that kind of um, uh, uh, instance that I was mentioning earlier, especially in the life of a, a humble trans woman like myself, is that you know we there's no shortage of um, gentlemen callers uh, who want to hang around. And, you know, I wrote a song about it. You know, I'm, my time is taken up full of exciting flings that are just like, woo, woo, woo. And, you know, then at the end of the day, I realized that these people have like, you know, the song is called Best Sex. These people have the best sex, (laughs) but they have nothing else to offer. I don't want to talk to them. There there are no other redeeming qualities to these people. And, And so I do think that, um, it's important to have that friendship and connection. And one of the things that I I think we end up 
searching for so much is this love, this passion, this love. And one of the notions that, you know, I don't know if I heard it somewhere or if it just occurred to me or both, probably both, um, is that, you know, that I remind myself of is that love is not enough. It's just not enough. Right. For, right. Um, for an, you know... <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that kind of um, you know, yeah, knee shaking love is not is not enough. It really has to come down to um, like joy out of some mundane situations that you want to experience with that other person. Um, I think well, so like, that that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah, it's like Doritos mm-hmm. are great. You know what I mean? Doritos are very intense taste experience. Yes. They're an explosion in your mouth. I wouldn't want to live without Doritos. You can't eat nothing but Doritos. No. You need because guess what? Doritos aren't going to make you full. You eat Doritos all day, you're going to be like, I'm still hungry. You know, you need to have the other the other piece of it. Now, if all you're eating is is boiled soup, is is you know, or whatever, is gruel, you can't. Like, yeah, I need you some Doritos too. Either. You gotta have you gotta have both of them. Um, and I also think the the point about having like a you know this kind of companionate love, but then also having a good other friend and good you know in this mm-hmm. article they talk about having two close friends, but like I think having friends just sort of like you I think the notion that you get everything you need from one person is crazy. I've long yeah. found that to be crazy. Like I I you know, I get many things that I need from my husband. He's fucking fantastic. Um but I get like a shit ton of other things from my friends, you know? Like and I and if and if I don't have them, if I don't see them, like you know, I I I'm I, I, I'd start jonesing for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I have to see my friends and talk to my friends or else it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not complete, you know? So I do think you, the idea that you would be kind of um, getting everything from one person is crazy. Well, and uh, you know, one thing that I've read and talked about my own work is that older men are facing an epidemic of loneliness. This is like, that sounds like a joke, but like no, loneliness yeah. so are is- women. <laughs> okay, I, I, I know that they so are. Women, I know they but are. less so Go women, ahead. because ahead. Less the data. So, a specific problem that older men have in the in the data, like men my dad's age, my dad is like close mm-hmm. to 70, and uh, he's never going to listen to this. Um, he doesn't have a friend. <laughs> yeah. Like, he has a wonderful relationship with my mm-hmm. mom, but like, I don't think he has a friend he hangs out with, and he's doing very well, but that kind of mm-hmm. loneliness, uh, men have trouble making non-romantic relationships yeah. with other men when they get older in life. And loneliness is really strongly correlated with early death from heart disease and other things. Like it's just being, you know, mm-hmm. we're social animals. Being lonely is very bad for you. And mm-hmm. uh, that, mm-hmm. so that that's what that made me think of is that like, that's something that men in particular, because of our cultural expectations of men or whatever else, have a hard time cultivating in their lives. And it's actually bad for your health. I also think that kind of to add on to what you said, Adam, is that, Culturally, I think we have an issue with with platonic relationships relationships in general. I think that we think of platonic relationships as just something that's either fleeting or just for kids mm-hmm. or young people. But you know, I think men. I would probably argue that men of all ages have a problem be, ha- sustaining healthy platonic relationships with women yeah. mm-hmm. that they don't want to have yeah. sex with necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know. 
Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. And and I think and it's funny because I think one of the things I I talked to, to a lot because um Adam my my parents are in a similar age range and one of the things that kind of happens a lot in my friends, you know, brunch conversation is my is my friends worrying about whether or not their friend their parents have enough friends. Mm-hmm. Like it's a constant um refrain of like of this concern. Like do they get enough social interaction? Do they have enough people care, you know, that just care yeah. for them like and you know, want to chat or whatever. Um and uh and it is I I find that you know, it, I that's a that's a stressor and it's interesting cuz it's like your children also stress out about whether or not you have friends so go and make some <laughs> friends so your children don't have to stress out about it yeah um, because yeah it's something it's first in it and it's and it's gotten worse i mean look it's it's also a sign of the times it's a part of the way cities developed it's a part of the driving culture it's a part of i mean there's so many reasons mm-hmm. um that this this kind of thing might be happening but i also think there's you know there are still so many ways to kind of correct it and to to, to have those older late in life friendships um yeah. that's a thing they happen uh, well people have this weird expectation that their kids are going to keep them company people are like people are like i, I got to have kids cuz i'll be lonely when i'm old it's like your kids oh, aren't going to hang out with you they're going to have their own lives when you're old you right. need to make friends with other old people that's what's yeah. going to stop you from being lonely yeah yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, Mom, I have to go. And I feel so guilty about it. She's like bringing up all these dumb things to talk about. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so everybody, call your parents and also help yeah. them find some friends. Um, that is, I guess, how I'm closing out this section on love. Um, and also, thank you so much to listeners who have been writing. We talked about dating during the pandemic last week. It's been a, it's been a, a stretch of love for two weeks. Um, and people have been writing in such really beautiful stories about how they've been mm-hmm. dating in the pandemic. Some people have uh, been on, you know, have done Zoom dates and then they met in person. They decided to get tested and then meet in person. And some people, uh, there's a story of someone, you know, meeting um, a, a dog, uh, meeting somebody while they're walking their dog. And then now they're together. Um, there's mm. a there's a, someone who was um, who who got pregnant, and had a baby all during the pandemic. <laughs> um, God, and uh, and so uh, there's some really, really like touching stories um, um, you know, that uh, love is not dead um, despite this fuckball pandemic. Uh, so I was so happy to to get those. Keep them coming. Uh, okay. And now that we're going to close the show, my last question to you both is, uh, are either of you Catholic, observant Catholics? No. Me neither. I can't say that I am. Okay, great. <laughs> You're like, let me, I'm not sure, but I think no. Um, yeah, so, and I'm, I'm a muzz. So not, this does not apply to any of us, but Lent is uh, like here. Um, and my question for you is if you did observe, like, I like the idea of like giving up something. If you did have to give up something for whatever, what is it, 40 days, what would you give up? And I guess it's like a part of the idea is that it's like a little painful. <laughs> what would you give up? Mm. Oh, well, what do we have to give up? Isn't it mostly food related? I mean, I think you can. I mean, in this in my universe of Lent, you can give up anything like tweeting or, you know, whatever. It could be anything. Oh, so I already quit tweeting. Did uh, you really well, quit t- tweeting? 
I have I have Twitter blocked on most of my devices, and then I use a service oh. called Buffer to post when I'm without opening. When you need Twitter. to, I use Buffer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've never heard. I of use that. Buffer that and then brilliant. I open Twitter and look at it. <laughs> I, I, so this week I've been bad. This week I've been bad. Mostly I try to only look once a week to check my DMs and to name search uh-huh. myself and see if anything's come up. <laughs> see if that scandal is unfolding oh, without you knowing. Did they find out? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I, so I try to, I do try to stay off Twitter. Um, I'm constantly quitting things. I was playing too much online magic, the gathering. So I quit that. And now I'm on to Tetris. I've been playing a lot of Tetris. So I guess I'd give up Tetris next. I've given up cooking. What? You've given up cooking? Yeah. Which I was never really doing to begin with, but, uh, I keep subscribing to these damned, uh, delivery service like oh, freshly in sun basket yeah, and, thing. Yeah, yeah. and I was like and I'm like what I have I keep throwing out all this Packaging. chicken breast okay. and packets <laughs> right. I'm like I can't with this stuff um and so I subscribed again two two weeks ago and then I immediately went in they allow you to skip weeks I immediately went in and skipped like 15 weeks so that showed me I, sh- I should cancel this and let it be done for good I did start with a new meal service because I don't like shopping at the grocery store. I got a new meal service and the meals are already cooked and you just pop them in the microwave or the oven and you're good to go and they're delicious. That's such and a so- specific thing to give up. Meal <laughs> kit, uh, pre- whatever those are p- called, cooking p- programs. Yeah. Um, I think, so if I wanted to give up something that would be like a little difficult, but I probably should try, um, is I would give up coffee. I love coffee. And I, mm. I think I maybe, you know, addicted is a ridiculous word, but like, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very psychologically dependent on it. I don't even know if it really affects me physiologically like that much, but I just like the ceremony of it. I'm just like, oh, I need to do it so that my day starts. Um, but that seems crazy that my day should, you know, like my day is starting. Either way, it's starting, you know? Um, <laughs> why? All right, folks, what I would really love is for people to follow both of you and what you do. Adam Conover, where do they do that? Uh, well, check out my podcast again, Factually. It's a hit podcast, it's so if you're not podcast. listening to it, you're the one missing out. Uh, <laughs> check it out. Incredible. We have incredible interviews with experts and, and smart people who, who share their ideas with you in a fast and funny way. Um, and uh, you follow me at Adam Conover wherever you get your social media. I've been on TikTok a lot lately. Uh, and Peppermint, where do people follow you? Absolutely. You can follow me on social media, Peppermint247, everywhere. You can also listen to my new show called Pep Talks Black Movie Classics, where we talk about all of the black movie classics with celebrities. Our next guest is John Cameron Mitchell. And uh, you can also listen to my new album called A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers that you plugged earlier. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting ready to release this the short film version of all the music videos. Instead of doing single music videos, we put them together in a short film. And that comes out that next wonderful. month. I'm excited about that. We don't have oh. a release date, but it's going to premiere on Out TV. That, I am so excited about that. Um, please follow both of these wonderful people. Uh, you will not regret it. And I want to thank the production team here at Fake the Nation for making the show possible. That's our wonderful producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabby Altarora, theme music, and Lily Fleshler helps with l- research. And listeners, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas you might have. You can leave us a voicemail at 3319010005, or you can drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com. 
if you like what you hear, please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcast, Pandora, and the SiriusXM app. And do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find out about the show that is real. I will be back in your earballs next week. <laughs> 